0: We're going to get started right away. We had a lot packed into this service so in order to be efficient with the time I'm just going to at least introduce there is multiple components of this message um, that you will have to dive into. I, I, I saw a pastor not finish and I'll was concerned for myself that I may not finish because there is a lot of verses included in order to accomplish the goal and the pericope at hand. So without doing any much else, all I want to do is dive straight into the scripture, but you're going to see multiple components, human components, friendship components, uh, enemy components. All this is mixed into this text. So my prayer is that as we kind of shotgun the message where it has a spread of applications, you will not lose sight of the main vision, which is that God will deliver you from it all. Okay, so I just pray that you don't lose it in the midst of all these applications, but trust me when I say there are multiple applications for this text. Can we pray together? Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity for us to dive into your word. God, you are gracious. gracious. You are amazing. You are awesome. God, I just want to stop and slow down because I recognize that your word deserves its time. My prayer for your people is that their heart is ready to receive your word, no matter what distraction may be in their way. Um, God, I just want to say thank you for your word, that despite the week we've had, you still want to speak to us. Despite the sin we've committed, you still want to speak to us, that you are desperately in love with us. And I pray that we love you back by how we hear your word today. God, I pray that my, my heart is pure as I present your scripture, your word, that it is powerful all by itself, God. And we want, we desire for your scripture to speak directly to our hearts. But God, I would hate for it to fall on deaf ears where we hear it and do nothing with it. God, we desperately love you and we thank you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I got bad knees, y'all. They bad. Tore, I think they, they, they now they're saying, I think I tore a meniscus. My left knee had microfracture surgery. So I, I keep hooping. That's the problem. I love to play basketball. But I'm going I'm to get past that I, I, because after a while you start realizing something's not right. You, you, you're getting older. I may need to retire. You know, I may need to hang the shoes up. But before I do that, because of my knees, because the doctor saying, hey, your knees are a little bit older, I went on Amazon. You know, Amazon is where you find everything. Amazon is where you find the products. But if you're like me, I had to go find some new knee braces, right? I had to go, maybe it's not the my knees, maybe it's just bad knee braces. So when you go buy bad, go buy knee braces, many of us are smart. What do we do? We go look at some stuff that are obviously well-priced and then we start reading the what? The reviews, especially it should have a lot of reviews, right? It should have like 30,000 reviews. Nobody buys the stuff that got six reviews and they're all five stars. We know the company wrote all them reviews. Nobody believes that mess. But when you got 30,000 reviews and you're sitting right around four and a half stars, we're going to buy it because we believe in the 30,000 people. And then some of us are detailed. What do we go do? We read the paragraphs. We start saying, oh, let me go read what people got to say about this product to make sure that if I buy these new knee sleeves, they're going to help me preserve my knees. Ladies and gentlemen, if you go read the reviews on my God, every paragraph's going to tell you that he wins every battle. It doesn't matter what kind of knee problems you had, back problems you had, marriage problems you had, job problems you had. It doesn't matter what in-law problems you had. It doesn't matter what family problems you had. If you read the reviews well. He's sitting at five stars, and he's talking about thousands and millions of people, reviews. If you look at his scripture, you'll realize there's paragraph and paragraph of him winning battle after battle, that it doesn't matter about your bad knees, it just matters that he is the correct knee sleeve. All I want you to do is dive into the text that we turn to Exodus chapter 17, and when you're in Exodus 17, we're going to dissect how God is always a God of good reviews. He's battle-tested. He doesn't lose. And when you get there, you're going to realize that while you're there, there are so many applications to this text that my big prayer for you is that you are excited about what God will say right here in verse 8 we're going to start here now you're going to say hey Pierre what is the beginning of this message and it starts with this the right choose wisely before you go into battle here's the issue you can't avoid it I just want to start here because if I start here, maybe it'll make sense of why I'm dissecting. If you choose wisely, choose the right people, choose the right weapon, choose the right stuff to go to battle with. If you choose it wisely, you will recognize that God's already victorious. But let's dive into the text. If you're here, that means last week we talked about what? That they that God said their heart wasn't ready for the Philistines. That means their heart wasn't ready to go to battle. But then all of a sudden, it says, then Amalek. Now, That means God said they ready. It's their time. It's time for them to go into battle because now it is his war. It's something that he wants to get accomplished and that he's saying it's time for them to experience battle. Now, before we even get into the fact that they're fixing to go to battle, can we just backtrack on the reviews real quick? He just split the Red Sea right there in chapters, chapter 17, verses one through seven. He just split a rock and made water come out of it. He just had, he just split the Red Sea. Then he also had the plagues in Egypt and he did it all through his rod and his staff and his and his soldier and Moses. So if he did all of this, you would think that he is saying, if you saw my reviews, you are ready for battle. But then Amalek comes along and if you know anything about the Amalekites, they, they were different. They were, we'll talk about all the detail of what they were, but let's start off with that. They were family because Jacob and Esau had a little rivalry going on. If you know anything about Jacob and Esau, they had some issues in their brotherhood, but the Amalekites came from the Esau and that Esau was the one that you would say, hey, I don't like the competitiveness of us. So when they're walking in the land, they see them and they're saying there's a couple reasons why they could have been fighting. One, they thought there was competition. Now, let me ask you a question. How many people you think get into battle with you if, because they think you're competition? Right? They, they see you walking, all millions of y'all walking, and like, no, no, no. When they see you come on your job, they think you're going to take their job. When they see you excel at your job, when they see you do the right things, when they see you walking on the path that God has sent you. Let me backtrack. He didn't, he didn't make them get into battle with the Philistines, but now he's saying, oh, you're going to get into a holy war on my behalf. But here's the thing, were they walking in the wrong direction? No, we're going to get in that when we get to them. But watch what he's saying. He's saying, now nah, I got some people that think you're in competition for their water, their resources, and you're in competition for their land. And even if they're wrong about it all, they still want to fight you. So I wonder how many of y'all have ever had some fights that you didn't pick? How many of y'all came home from what, hard days of work and some people in that house had some fights that you weren't picking? How many of y'all came home and you're like, Pierre, I didn't say nothing. Honestly, I just texted back, I love you, but I I guess I didn't put an exclamation mark on it. I didn't put the heart emoji on the right place and now I'm in trouble. You had some friends that thought you were more competition than friendship. You had some family that didn't like the way you was moving, you was making too much money. So now all of a sudden you move in and you think you're doing the right thing, but you're like, Pierre, I didn't even do nothing to deserve this war. And ladies, and gentlemen, I got news for you. Sometimes you don't deserve the battle you got. But what you have and what we have to stop doing is what? Stop blaming God for the battle because if he wants you in it, he's going to win it. If he wants you in it, that means ready. He said, watch this. Well, I said Philistines. He didn't want them in that one. They weren't ready. But now he says, oh, the Amalekites, this is my war. I want you in it. So if I want you in it, I think you can win it. So watch the things that some of us are scared, and guess what we do? We run away. How many of us are runners from conflict? We don't like conflict. It it opens us up. It makes us vulnerable. It makes us feel like we're going to lose the battle. And God's like, why are you running if I put you in it? Hmm. This, this story gets even better because the Amalekites were not only family that were thinking in competition, that were actually better fighters, which we'll talk about in a second. They had uses of camels that you would be like, man, they know how to use them. Camels, you seen the movies where they go on the other side of the horse and they shoot under the horse and all this cool stuff in the cowboy movies? I want you to envision that when we're talking about the Amalekites. They would sneak up on people with camels. Camels, y'all. Think about how, how skills you got to be to sneak up somebody with a camel. Got two humps. talking about, I got you. Second, how dumb do you got to be? I have to see a camel coming. But that's what it said in the history book, so I'm going to go with it. That means they were better than people that were what? Walking. Already at a disadvantage. So now you're like, Pierre, why would God pick a battle that you're going to lose? Oh, hear me out. Some of us don't want the battle because we already think we're overmatched. What about the people that got stuff on you, your history that they could use against you? Like, God, I'm overmatched. My family knows too much about me. There's no way I'm going to win this battle. (laughs) No, God, uh uh-uh. No, you're picking the wrong one. It's my boss at work. She could fire me, and God's like, I like overmatched battles. I like when they got strategies. I like when they can have camels. I like when they sneak up on you because when they're sneaking up on you, they're not sneaking up on me. I, I, I... I like when you think you can't win. I like when they got better sores than you. I like when they can send you the right email. And you think you're going to get fired. I like this battle because when I like it, I get all the glory. But sometimes when we think we got it, when we think we can win it, when we think we are coming home with the right argument, you plan the argument all day at work so you can come home and say it to your wife or your husband. You even sent yourself an own email so you can read it when you got home. I got her today. And God's like, I don't like them battles because that's when you think you're winning stuff. I never, see, here's the thing. When you talk about a holy war, I'm going to list the things in Deuteronomy about a holy war that God was saying a holy war was all about me. It had nothing to do with you. Because if I declare it holy, that means not only will I defend you, it's all about my glory. But when you pick your own battles, mm, that's on you. So sometimes we get mad at God, we're picking them joints. You know when you you harassing that person. You know when you're picking on that person. And you talking about, I don't know why they're mad at me. You know why they're mad at you. You picked that all day. You've been sending paragraph text messages all day. You know what you was doing. I don't know why he came in all grumpy. I, I cooked him dinner. No, no, no. Set the record straight. Them paragraph text messages are tough. Some of y'all feeling me on this. I'm paragraphs boy. Not Monica, she's short-winded. The cannings, on the other hand, God bless our souls. Ready? The second part of the Amalekites is something. Watch this. This was going to be a battle they kept having to fight. All the way back to 1 Samuel. Now, that's what you need to go. When you do your history, they had to be in battle for years. This was just the start. So how many of us lose faith when the battle lasts too long? But God ain't picking quick ones sometimes. Sometimes the one that hurt us the most is the family, right? Because they're there a long time. It's the sister. It's the brother that you can't avoid. They're blood. And you're like, God, look, I'm going to avoid them. And then some of us start using rules like I'm going to set boundaries on people. I read this book called Boundaries. And God's like, boundaries ain't going to win this. That book you read ain't going to win you this battle. I put them there and I want them there and they're going to be there and they're going to stay there. You know how many times the Amalekites are mentioned all throughout the Old Testament? You know they never disappear. And he keeps letting them come. And guess what? If they do it the right way, the Israelites keep winning every time. So even if you're in them, don't think you're losing. Even if it comes back. But if you run from a battle, expect it to come back, ladies and gentlemen. You know, you ever thought about delayed consequences for your delayed obedience? That some of us run from issues because it's taking too long? Because it took two months to solve an issue, so you run at month one, and God's like, well, I'm going to let it come back then. Because you didn't grow from your first one. Nah, but let's get past that. Nobody wants that. And then watch what it says here. And I know you're thinking, Pierre, you're picking on one word. You just picked on the Amalekites for five minutes. But the scripture gets better because came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Now, I want you to pay attention. Who caused it? Who came? The Amalekites. Did, did the Israelites come and do anything? No. So Rudy approved that point, but watch what point number two comes in. Rephidim is a word where they already tested God in the first place. Now hear me. You know what the word tested means? They, t- they asked God to prove himself. They were saying, hey, we thirsty. We hungry. And it all happened in the same place they went to war. So you would think, That they would be like, man, God just allowed Moses to crack this rock and good water came out. We have manna from heaven. We're in the same spot. You would think they would be ready because every time they tested God, he proved he was God. So I guess what I say is you would think that if you've seen God consistently win your battles over and over again, you would think that we would be ready for war. And you think that we would have a positive outlook. But honestly, what happens even after the Red Sea, what did they do to God? They tested him. So then I ask you a simple question. How many of us are testing God even though he keeps winning? How many of us are asking God to prove himself, praying prayers like, God, if you really God, then you would cause this to go away. God, if you love me, you would. God's like, whoa, wait a second. I just split the Red Sea. I just made manna come down from heaven. And I just split a rock you would think that they'd be marching in the battle ready to go. But then some other things come along, and I got to get into these texts because some people start coming along. So God picked the enemy, and honestly, God allowed the war. So what happens next? It says this right in the Scripture. It says, then it says, so Moses said to Joshua, I want you to get this. Moses talked to the right dude. It's like me talking to my brother. I can't fight. I can say that from the pulpit now because I feel safe. Back in the day, I didn't want nobody to know that, but I couldn't. So I don't, I, I'm a thug, but I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like a loving thug. Don't get it mistaken. But if I was to go to battle, I'm calling Paul. Paul had one, one hitter quitter for days. And he wouldn't let the one hitter quitter do it. He would, he would finish. What I mean is they would be still on the ground, but he finished. I know this out of personal experience. If you've been in my youth ministry, you know this story. One day I decided in Katy, Texas, to make sure everybody knew on that street I was a thug. So I came at this dude. He was talking noise across the street, singing spurs, baby. Had gang signs and everything. So he came across the street, started talking noise. I I felt a presence behind me, though. Paul was just watching me. So I got all the courage I had in me. We couldn't cuss in my house. So I had to use another cuss word. Came deep from my soul. I said, man, shut up, you grapehead. (laughs) That's the best I had. I mean, look at my dad. He don't, he still says deuce. I mean, I didn't have any thug in me. I, I, I didn't even know what to say. But obviously, Grapehead was offensive. Because the dude ran across the street. I was like, oh, shucks. (laughs) I guess he had a round head. It was real. All of a sudden, well, I was smart with my thugs. I just did this. I was confused. So I said, sidestep. And all of a sudden, I felt this. I felt a gush of wind and I just watched the dude ran Paul came full knuckles back in the day I heard a whimper I knew it was over closed my eyes I felt pain for the guy he fell down so I was like uh uh-uh. uh it's my turn <laughs> so I got on top of him not like on top of him I just did this that's what I'm talking about grapehead. that's what you get baby yeah I had to let him know. I didn't punch. I didn't even kick him. I just wanted him to know that I was still there. And God's like, what? If you trust me, I could talk Noah's the enemy all day. If you love me, if you know I've won battles at Rephidim, if you know you've tested me and I still won, if you know that I split the Red Sea, if you know that I just put plagues on Egypt, if you know all the Egyptians just rolled on the shore, step back, move to the side and watch a gush of wind. Because when my God moves, it's a one-hitter-quitter. The problem with many of us is that not only do we talk noise like we shouldn't, we step in front of God like we're going to win it. Some of us lack obedience. Some of us don't recognize that God is the only weapon you need, but even though you test him, he still comes faithful. But on top of not only being a reference, he says, I'm going to call Joshua. Joshua was Paul. Joshua was a soldier you wanted. So when you in battle, call the right people, please. See, please stop calling the people that don't want to fight with you, just want to talk to you. If you got somebody like that in your life, like, girl, let's talk about it, but she don't want to do nothing to help you, that ain't the friend. Especially when you're in war. If you have fellas in your life that say, hey, man, I'm with you, but they don't do nothing to support you. They don't come to your house when you was down and low. They don't say, hey, man, let's go out let's talk about this. Let Let me walk with you as you try to love your wife better. If you don't have somebody with you in battle, that ain't the friend. See, Joshua, Moses said, hey, go get some men. That's all he said. Joshua didn't say, hey, man, let's talk about this. They can fight. And I see some camels. He didn't say nothing like that. So as soon as Moses said, go get some men, Joshua said, all right, let's go get some men. So I guess what I'm trying to tell my Christians in this room, stop walking in your own battles by yourself. And the problem with me, you feel lonely, you feel desperate, you feel tired. Why? Because you keep trying to fight battles in your life. There are moments in your life where you're going to need a Joshua who says, all right, let's go then. I don't need more excuses. I don't need reasons. If you're going in the direction God is putting you, Moses, then I'm behind you 100%. But you also need a friend to let you know you're in the wrong direction too. Stop having some cosigners in your life, the people that don't necessarily know where you're going or know where you're heading. That's when you start creating false friends, false truths, and you start standing and defending yourself, and your friends are cosigning everything that's wrong. If you're going in the right direction, have a friend that's going to walk with you. But then he says, go choose the right, what'd he say? Go choose some men. So Joshua wasn't fighting alone either. But when he says, go choose men, guess what he's saying? Go choose some people who are equipped to fight. Leave them weak ones at home. And it's not offensive. I hope you can at least say, I understand. It's finding the right people for the right time. Hey, some of these people may not be equipped to fight. Some of these people are like Pierre. They're they, 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 they from Katie. You don't want them people. I want the people, and you go choose the people who are going to fight with you. Now, hear me. Joshua was going to war with them. So if you ask friends to be there for you, you can't back out either. You need people who are going to fight what? With you that are equipped to fight. Now you're like, well, Pierre, what are you talking about? If you stop choosing unchristian friends, they can't fight nothing. Because if they're going to fight, they need a word of God to fight with. If it's a spiritual battle, you don't need natural friends. We keep getting sinful friends to fight spiritual battles. Talking about, I hope they rock with me. You don't want them. They can't win because if it's a spiritual war, what I call it, I said it's a holy war. If it's a holy war, don't put unholy people. So if they don't know their scriptures, if they ain't bringing no weapons to the fight, don't bring them to your war. That's like asking somebody to help you with marriage that's been divorced five times. Talking about I got you. No, I don't want you. I don't need you right now. You're a good basketball friend. You're not the marriage friend. No, nah, wrong, wrong war. We can hoop together. I guess what I'm trying to get you to understand is if you have a problem in your life, find the one that's going to help you with your problem. You know, I'm going to say something really sad but also exciting. They should be right here in this, this, this church. Should be sitting right next to you. I pray that they are. I'm not saying living where it's perfect, but it should be the people that you should pick from the sanctuary to say, help me with my marriage. We should be going to marriage classes saying what? Hey, hey, help me with my marriage. We should be going to say what? Oh, let's go to life app together so we can learn and grow in the word of God together. So when you go to battle, you all go with the same weapons. Problem is that we have bank on childhood friends more than we bank on church friends. We think history is confused with loyalty. But if loyalty is without the right weapon, you still lose the battle. You just have a good friend in the wrong war. Then he picked some other people. And I'm going to be quick with these. He picked Aaron. Aaron's been rocking with him since the beginning. That's his brother. Aaron was the spokesperson, but Aaron made some mistakes too. But Aaron didn't get chose for battle. You notice that, right? He got chose to be the intercessor he belonged to be. He got put in his role. Aaron couldn't be something he was not. He picked Joshua for war. He picked Aaron to stand next to him. That was his job. Then he picked a man named Hur. That was just his friend. Ended up being a judge over the people. Somebody he what? Trusted. So I need y'all to go with me to the hill, to the mountain, so I can see the war. So right there, he shifts gears. He picks all the right people. But then it says something that should rock your world. He, he was smart with it. He said, so Moses said, Joshua, choose for us and go out. Fight against the Am- Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill with who? The staff. Why would you bring a staff to a war? Because that's the same staff that split the Red Sea. That's the same staff with the plagues. That's the same staff that turned into a serpent. That's the same staff that hit the rock. You don't bring something that don't do nothing. I learned a, a, a word that my dad won't know what I'm saying right now. I learned that stick don't mean stick no more. But if you're in a gunfight, you don't bring a knife. You bring a stick. Only young people got that one. (laughs) And since Moses knew this was a gunfight, he said, I'm going to bring my stick. But this stick don't miss. Now hear me. This stick will never miss. Why? Because the stick is the one that did all that history. It's never got shorter than a bullseye. This stick goes 10 for 10. This stick don't miss. But he didn't need the swords, though. Hear me. He said, get the staff of God. So then I ask you a question, what do you bring to your wars? Because some of us bring opinions, emotions, histories, lack of forgiveness, things that you can win a war with. You know, when he made a mistake 10 years ago, bring that with you. We like to bring histories up, don't we? We like to bring emotions into it, don't we? We like to use opinions that somehow we make facts. But God's like, you don't need that when you're in battle. You need to bring the staff of God because this don't miss. So if you keep doing stuff that don't miss, you, you, you keep bringing stuff that don't matter, you only hurting the person next to you. But if you bring a stick, the stick don't miss. But if you don't know how to use it, if you don't know what page to turn to, and if you keep quoting your mama's favorite scripture for the wrong application, talking about I don't even know why this ain't working, you're using the wrong bullet. This is a sticker, don't miss. So even though you don't have a rod in your hand, God definitely gave you a rod in your hand. Watch what happens next. He says, tomorrow I will station myself at the top of the hill with the staff of God. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek and Moses and Aaron and her went up to the mountain of the top of the hill. I want people to see this. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. When he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. Now, this is important. When he held his hand up, they would what? Overwhelm them. But you got to remember, they didn't have all the swords. They didn't even have the right weapons. But when his hand was lifted unto God, when he had surrendered everything to the raw that was in his hand, have you noticed one second before I even begin, he hasn't even talked to God. He knew that if God picked the battle, he had to bring the staff to win it. Hear me out. This is important. God didn't tell him to go to the hill. He knew the only way to win was to bring God to the battle. So he says, let me go on the hill so people can see. When his hands were lifted up in surrender, they started to win. When his hands came down, they started to lose. What does that tell you about two facts? One, when you lift and surrender things to God, you win. Two, the Amalek battle, was so big, that means they were better skilled, better equipped, you're going to lose a natural battle without supernatural power. Oh, this is important. What happens when he lost the supernatural, when he stopped surrendering it to God? What happened when he got weak in his own power? They lost. They were losing. But when he put the supernatural into the natural, they win the battle. Because Amalek was already going to win if it was up to soldiers alone. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you think you can win with your next email, the next argument, the next history, the next opinion, the next emotional manipulation. You think that's your weapon. And God's like, as soon as you put me down, you're going to lose because the enemy's always going to win. If it's up to your natural. Amalek's were better equipped, better fighters better emailers, better arguers. But then you put the supernatural into it. You say, God, this ain't my battle. This yours. You said a holy war. Hey, God, I, I can't win this. this, this is, I'm up at a job. All my supervisors are tripping. God, I, I can't win. I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm doing my devotions. I know I'm praying. I know I'm loving my neighbor. I know I'm doing everything on this job to represent and give you light. I didn't do anything to, to get this battle, and I know that I'm going to try to send another email to win the battle. I'm done with the emails, and now it's yours. I'm done trying to win this war at home with my wife. I'm done trying to bring up the next argument to see if I can win her back. All I'm going to do is say, God, I surrender. So when you come into worship and I see hands raised, it's you saying, God, I surrender. I am done. See, when you come to the altar in the sermon, you're saying, God, I am done. I surrender. I'm letting all of these things go away because I know if I leave it up to my natural, I'm going to lose because the enemy's more equipped. Satan knows what he's doing. He knows how to use this world against you. He knows exactly what your weak spots are sometimes, so he already knows. But it, my guy says, if you just hold the staff in the air. But here's the beauty of the second part of that message. Sometimes even when you're trying to do the best thing, don't you get tired? Oh, this is good. Moses was doing the right thing, wasn't he? And even in doing the right thing, guess what he got? Tired. So even when you're, doing, when you're going home trying to be a good husband, even when you're trying to be a good single, even when you're trying to sustain and abstain from sex, even when you're trying to be a good dating life, even when you're doing the right thing, guess what you're still going to get? But then you have two friends. But here's the beauty of the two friends. They said, sit down, Moses. Oh, they put a stone. They done moved the stone and said, sit right here, Moses. We know where you are with God. This ain't our job. This ain't my role. Aaron knew, her knew. This is the only man that can hold this rod. We ain't going to hold it. So we're going to make it comfortable for you to fight. People got to know their role in their life. Stop asking people to fight your battles. It's yours. Some of us getting baby through battles, asking mama and daddy and calling your grandma trying to see if she'll fight it for you. That ain't them. They need to say, let me help you get comfortable, but you're still going to have to hold that stick. We're we asking too many things. Her and Aaron were only supposed to help him hold it, but Moses didn't let go the entire time. How do I know that? Because guess what happens next? They said, sit down on the stone. He sits down. You know why they told him to sit down? It's not just because he was tired from standing. Guess what? If you sit down, we can hold the stick just like this. About it, just do the measurements. If I sit down here and I hold the stick up and you're standing at my side, all I got to do is just rest the stick on my hands, but you better hold it. They were smart, they were strategic, but they also knew their role. I need people in your life that are going to help you hold. That's why I turn to scriptures like Galatians chapter 6 when it says, Have somebody help bear your burdens. You got to be careful with the person that's bearing your burdens. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 talk about two is greater than one. And three, you can have three strands put together will not be broken. So if we know that two is better than one, how come some of us are walking to the top of the hill by ourselves? Because guess what you're going to get? Tired. So now I talk to the people who are tired in the sanctuary and ask, who are the people on your right and your left? I'm not asking for a group. I'm not asking for a gang. I'm not asking for a posse. I'm saying, who are the people in your circle? that know who God, what God has put in your heart to do and are willing to help you do it. I'm not asking nobody to step in nobody's marriage. I'm not asking anybody to do something that's not their role. What I am saying is who's going to stand by you while you try to be obedient so y'all can win the war. The story gets even better because you would think, Oh, that's it. He chose the right weapon. He chooses the right people. And then he says, let me hold my hands in the air. Don't do this alone because you will get heavy and you will need rest. But then you have friends that will help you do it. And the scripture gets better because Moses understood that Joshua was starting to win. So it came about, but Moses' hands were heavy. They took a stone, put it under him. He sat on it. Aaron and her supported his hands on one on either side. Well, let me get that right. I correct myself. They didn't even touch the rod. They touched his hands and on one on the other. Thus, his hands were steady until how long was his battle? Sunset quick. Was it over fast? All day. All day. Yeah, can I? I ain't never seen a quick one, y'all. You know, when I do marital counseling. You know what I tell people? I'm not counseling for today. I'm counseling for 50 years. Like, why would I counsel you when y'all all get in my office talking about y'all in love? I'm not counseling you for this mess. That's the honeymoon period. I'm not counseling you for that. Everything's cute when you in the, you know, newlyweds. I just love the way he leaves his shoes on the floor. I love how they're just scattered. And when I trip, we all laugh. <laughs> it's cute. I love how she buys so many shoes that match different outfits. I just love it. She stacks them nicely, never uses it more than once a year. It's beautiful. But year 15, we broke. Why are you buying more shoes? Pick up your shoes off the floor. Why am I picking up your underwear? You know what a basket is. Then the second the phrase comes out: I ain't your, your maid. And second one, yeah, you're right. I ain't your mama. (laughs) Because you don't plan for a battle to be short. That's when you fail already. You plan for it to take all day. You plan for it to take 15 years. You plan for your marriage to be 50. You don't plan for the marriage to last five You don't plan out your next five vacations talking about, oops, we made it. No. There's no five-year anniversaries. Like, like you don't do a renewal of vows at five years, do you? Why? Because you were supposed to make it to five years. Hit me up when you get to 25. Talking about come do my ceremony. We made it five. Get out of here. When God wins your battles, though, guess what you should do? I got to be fast. When you hold your hands up and Joshua overwhelms them and, and then the Amalekites are gone, what, what, what should you do after that? But when, let, me, let me tell you something. How many of y'all are that person that leaves a review? Don't, you don't have to raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, some of y'all here. Some of y'all them people that leave reviews when you get the wrong product. Uh-huh. Yeah. You the, the review I read. How many of y'all leave complaints to the manager? How many of y'all call the manager? Okay, that's, okay I see one guy. Thank you for your honesty. Some of us just know it ain't going to do nothing. I see two. Because when you get, and, but how many of y'all are the nice people in here? You can raise your hand, for this is a testimony to your kindness. How many of you get good service, you leave a good review? Like hit the manager up and say, hey, man, my waiter was great. I just want to let you know that. Okay, good. That's, that's, me and my wife do that because we want to make sure that the manager knows these people are doing the right thing. So, I guess what I'm saying is, when you get a good service, you leave a good review. So then God is like, if you just saw me win a battle you were supposed to lose, I hope you leave a good review. So, your friends should know that I was victorious in your life. Your friends also should know that if it was up to you, you would have lost. Your friends also should know if you were to win this battle with your wife, your husband, your singleness, you would have lost on your own. But since I'm the one that won and you know the evidence is that I won, what do you think the soldiers would have done every time they turn around, his hands were in the air? Guess what they felt? Encouraged because they knew every time he raises it, we going to win. So guess what you should start saying? I'm going to leave a good review. Guess what God tells him to do? Hey, make sure everybody remembers this. But why would you want to remember? Because guess how many battles they had to fight to get to the promised land? I want you to understand this. This was a stop on their journey. This wasn't the end. But if you want to get to your end, you got to remember your stops. You got to remember God was faithful with the Amalekites. You got to remember that God allowed you to get to the Red Sea. God, if you notice every miracle, God says, remember this. Why? Why? I hate to say this. We got a long memory of other people's sins. We got a short memory of God's miracles. Am I wrong? When somebody sins against you, we quick to remember that joker. And we'll remember for a long time. But we have a short memory when it comes to God's miracles all over your life. When God gives you grace, we quick to forget when God gives you grace. We sure enough going to remember when somebody sins against our grace. But I don't know if you notice, God always said, hey, remember this. If you don't believe me, watch what the end of the scripture says. He gets, he gets very critical. He says, so Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this in the book. I know it says a book in your Bible. but well, you'll have to see in the Hebrew, it says the book. This is important because if it says the book, that means it was a book that was already known by Moses that he was supposed to be writing things down already. Why would you want to write something in a book, ladies and gentlemen? And so people won't forget it. So why when you come to the scriptures and you see God's promises and his faithfulness and the fact that he's won every war, why would you be scared of the next one? Why would you run from the next one if it's already written in the book, our book? Why would you run if he says, remember this? Then you go to the, I don't know if you want to go to the middle of the book or you want to call it the middle. When you go to the start of the New Testament and you hear about him winning the biggest battle of your life where he forgave your sins by dying on the cross for your sins and raising three days later, that's the biggest battle you could ever win. And he won it. And since he won it, why would you be scared? If you won the biggest battle ever, so now you have access unto God, and you have access into heaven, and now Jesus Christ is forgiving you of all your sins? You would think that you would walk into any battle saying, if he could beat me, if he could beat death, he could beat this. If he could beat hell and send me into heaven, then he could beat this. We're waiting on miracles, and God's like, I am your biggest miracle. How, how are you confused about that? I want you to remember that because when we do communion, what's the point of communion? It's so that you what? Remember me. So then I ask you, how many of us remember him? Because if you remember, it changes the way you go to battle. Hear me. Let me ask you a question when when me and my wife when we got married my dad says something a lot all the time repetitively he says divorce is not an option hear me i know it's gonna make sense in a second divorce is not an option so guess what since divorce is not an option guess how i approach any battle in our marriage with confidence because it doesn't matter how bad it gets we ain't going nowhere It doesn't matter because we both promised each other that in sickness and in health, whether we got money or we broke, no matter what comes our way, we here. So why would I be scared of a little argument? I ain't scared, baby. Let's talk. Guess what I tell my kids? It doesn't matter what you do. Daddy's still going to love you. Why? Because I hope they approach my room with confidence. They can tell me about their worst decision they've ever made, and they know daddy's going to what? Love them, because now they know that every battle, daddy's still in it with me. So if we know it, then how come we don't approach God with the same confidence? Why are you letting people in your life, your Amalekites in your life, why are you letting them make you discouraged and sad and losing hope? Why are you letting people in your life tell you that you ain't worth nothing? Well, God's like, I told you you're worth everything. You can walk to my door with confidence. You can walk into my throne with confidence. I gave you an intercessor in Jesus Christ where you can pray to me at any access point you want. I've given you everything. Why are you scared? You don't even need a stick for your battles because I am the stick. So what are you worried about? The problem is if you don't know his promises and you don't know who Jesus is and you don't have a good history with God, you're going to forget who won it in the first place. He says, write it down. But then he tells you some other stuff. He says, make a memorial. Now, if you know anything about the Hebrew and the New Testament word, in the word he says, then the Lord said, Moses, write this in a book as a, mo- what? Memorial. It means as a remembrance. So I already knocked that word out the park. I hope you get it, that he wants you to remember when he's faithful. Remember when he wins, because that is the exact root of the word. But I want to give you a little more here. Remember I told you this war lasts forever. He also wants you to know if the Amalekites ever show up again. Remember when I beat them the first time. Hear me out. This is important. I told you it would come back. So if the boss ever comes back, you're not scared. If the same argument pops up in your marriage, you're not scared. If your singleness, it seems like you desperately single. You're not scared of your singleness because you saw God win it the first time. But you got to remember that, though. And if you remember, you're not scared of the Amalekites for the rest of your existence. But then he tells him something else that I want you to get. It says, and recite it to Joseph. I'm almost done. Who's he going to tell? Joseph. Does Moses know if Joseph was, Joseph's plan? Does Moses know God's plan for Joseph? No, not yet. But he said, tell Joseph. Because guess who's going to need to remember this too? When he takes over and takes him into the promised land. I said, Joseph, Joshua, guess who's going to remember it? Joshua's going to need to know it. So then I tell parents in this room, guess who you should be telling telling all of God's miracles in your life? Tell it to your kids. So they don't forget, hey, my parents made it through all their battles. So we're going to walk into the promised land easy. Tell it to Joshua. Make sure he knows and he has the book. So if he has the book, then he can remember. That's why I struggle with parents. When we don't do devotions with our kids, when we don't tell our kids our testimonies, when we don't tell them what you've been through and how the, the decisions you made and how the mistakes you've made, but now God has seen you through your battles. If they don't know your testimony, then how are they going to know God's faithfulness? If they don't know about your Amalekites, then they don't think they're never going to make it to the promised land either. But if they know, if your friends know, then guess who they'll trust? Not you, not that one o'clock phone call. They're going to start praying instead of calling you. See, everybody wants to be the intercessor for everybody. Sometimes it ain't your job. But if you introduce them to the intercessor, if you make them remember that God was faithful in my battle, then maybe your friends will start praying instead of calling you, talking about let's go get drinks. That's not the way. This is recited to Joshua. And then we'll conclude with this. This is one of my favorites because we sing it in all the songs. He says, I will blot out the memory of Amalek. Quick. They won't even be a memory under heaven. Because when I take care of your battles, just watch these words. Like I took care of the Egyptians. You, they, just like nobody will remember that, they ain't going to remember them. So he's saying, "If why are you worried about people that I'm going to take care of? And not just take care of them. I'm going to blot them out of existence. I wish I could read to you the holy war and how God said he, you should function in the holy war. Because in a holy war, he wants to make sure that you, he gets the glory. I'm the one that's going to blot him out, not you. Moses built an altar, a place of, watch these words, worship. He built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. You know what the banner meant? a sign and a pole. But if you were to get an imagery, the pole goes in the ground and the flag waves. So he's saying right here where we're worshiping God, I want you to know that the Lord is our banner. That means it was also a rallying cry for an army. So if you put a pole down, what what does that mean? Y'all know the picture of America. The pole was in the ground, but it was leaning. had a whole bunch of soldiers willing to hold it up in the air. Why? Because if you hold the banner in the air, people will know we're not defeated. So guess what he's saying? I am your what? Pole. I am your banner. So if you hold it up, you will know that we never lose. So that's what I want you to do. I, that's what I want everyone to know in this room. The Lord is your banner. Because when you put the pole in your life, just remember he never loses. Just remember, just, but you got to put the pole up though. The problem is that some of us are flying our own flags talking about look what I want and God's like, that's the wrong flag. Nobody's encouraged by that. Nobody's encouraged by we made it. No, the, the Lord is our Banner. So when you come to church, my prayer is that every sermon is a banner. It's not flying Pierre Cannon's flag. It doesn't even have an LWFC on that flag. It says, this is the Lord's house. It is his banner. When you come in here, you are encouraged. When you come in here, you hear the Lord of God over and over again. When you come in here, you can believe that God is going to fix your marriage, fix your job, fix your singleness, because this is a banner house the only flag we fly in your house the only God we serve in your home the only God we serve in this house is going to be the banner of God because when you walk in the problem is I hope that you put the right pole up because then he said the Lord swore for generation to generation oh I love it I love that God's promises are forever like they've been going on since the Bible was written he ain't broke one yet but it goes for generation to generation. So for, for those parents or soon-to-be or wannabes, here it is. The only banner you fly in your home because the only promises you want your kids to know is God's because they last forever. I love my brother, but I have to conclude with him. I do. He's not here to hear this, but he's going to have to hear it. Never, ever go out to eat with my brother. (laughs) Just don't. He'd be like, man, let's go out to eat. Nope. Or if you do go out with him, make him order before you get there. Trust me. Because my brother does this every time. He'll look at the menu for five, ten minutes. Look at every option. Survey the whole thing. Even tell you things he's eaten in the past. So that means he's been there before. But even as soon as the waiter comes, now remember we got a big family, y'all. When we uh, eat out together, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of people that got to order their food. And we even skip Paul on purpose. Like you can start with me, because we know we're giving him what more time. But when it gets back to my brother, he does this. I love him, this, this smirk, and this smirk kills me because it means he's fixing out the same dumb question. He's like, hey man, what do you recommend, bro? And the waiter's like, well, I really recommend that. He was like, oh, okay, okay, I got you. Hey man, what does the chef recommend? Oh, man, the chef recommends the same thing. Hey, man, but look, you got anything off the menu? There's something, you know. So the whole family turns and looks at my brother. He never makes eye contact with us. <laughs> but every time you order something, I'm going to be real with y'all. Them jokers good. He always lets me try and We family. We shared the same toilet for a long time. He's like, you can eat off my fork. I said, amen. He gets a little bougie now. He's like, here's another four P. <laughs> COVID. That's good. Because he orders off the menu of what that's recommended. He even goes a little higher and makes sure the chef recommends it. Because when the chef recommends, the one who made it recommends it, he know that the chef put everything into it. So when it hits his plate, it's going to be good. Even if it comes off the menu, my God is telling you I'm the chef. And if you order off my menu, it's always going to be good. It's, it's, a, it's reviewed already. Now, Pierre may order what he will normally order. He's going to order the same chicken tenders. Bang, bang, right there. Get chicken tenders. Don't matter how expensive the chicken tenders are. My kids are going to get the same thing. Paul's kids, they're they going to order like they, they daddy. But th- th- moving on. Tanisha ordered the same thing. Monica going to try something different, but she going to pick quick. My brother, when that that plate hits, it's it's usually the largest plate on the table. He usually got eight sides because he couldn't decide. But everything's going to be good. When my God sends you this plate, when he put everything in the scripture so you can remember to put the right people in your life, so you can pick the loyal ones, pick the right ones that are going to hold up the staff or hold up your hands, the ones that are going to be in your life. Then he's saying, hey, pick the right strategy. Pick the things that you're going to do. Make sure you hold me up on high so people can know you're going to win. And then on the back end, I want you to make sure that you order this too. And when you order all of these things, it's going to be good. So it doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter how long it takes for you get your order. You know it's going to be good. Let us pray together. My prayer for you today is a couple things. First, it sounds weird, but the first part of that message was about knowing you're going to battle with the right people and picking the right weapon. So if you're saying today, Pierre, you know what? You're right. I haven't, when, I'm, when I'm in battle, I don't pick the right weapon. I've chosen my feelings, my opinions, my friends that I know shouldn't be in battle with me. This is the first altar call for That's for you. It's for people that are battling with the wrong people and the wrong things. And then wonder why we're losing. The second part is knowing that some of us need rest today. That you're, you're trying to hold your hands up. You're tired. My encouragement is you find people that will hold up your hands. But on top of it, you will know that everybody gets tired in battle. My just prayer that you stick with it and you keep holding your hands and you surrender to God. So if you need to surrender to God today, you need to surrender your marriage or singleness, if you just need to lift your hands and say, God, it's your battle. I'm tired. I'm tired of trying to fight this on my own. And then lastly, for you for those people who just need to say, you know what? I've forgotten. I've forgotten. I haven't remembered how faithful God has been. ha. I've lost track. I haven't remembered his promises. I haven't lived in the promises of God. And today you're saying, you know what? I want to remember the faithfulness of God. So when I go to my next Amalek, I'm just fine. When I go back to war on Monday, I'm fine. I'm not stressed. I'm not anxious. I'm not losing sleep because I know where I'm going to war with. For if any of those three things are you today, while Chris sings, I just want you to stand. doesn't matter which one hits you. It just matters that you're willing to stand and surrender it to God.
1: To my heart, Holy Spirit.
0: Repeat it. But if you know any of those three things got you today, finding the right people, picking the right weapons, having the right strategy, and most importantly, remembering that he is always going to win if it's his battle. I pray for everyone in this room. Is that you know that you're not pick, you're not in a battle. If you're in God's will, you're not in a battle that he didn't design and he won't win.
1: Your spirit guide and let your word abide. Speak to my heart, Lord. To give me your holy word. If I can't hear from you, oh, then I'll know what to do. So I won't go alone, I'll never go on my own. Just let your spirit guide and let your word Speak to my heart.
0: For those who are standing, and I know this may seem like it's it's religiosity, and it's not. It's just symbolic. So don't think I'm making you do something you don't want to do. But today I want you to be like Moses. I just want you to lift your hands and surrender whatever's on your heart. It's not something spiritual, it's not like I'm this is a magic trick. It's not a magic trick. But I just want you to symbolically say. God, I am standing and I am surrendering whatever's on your heart, whatever God put on your heart today. And I'm, all I'm going to do is to say a quick prayer, but I want you to pray now. I want you to surrender what's on your heart and I want you to pray. And when you're done, I'll close this out really quickly because we have to conclude service. we thank you, that you gave us a remembrance of your faithfulness in battle. Some of us are trying to avoid it. Some of us have tried to run from it. God, I pray that we will face head on. We'll choose the right people for battle with us. We'll choose the ones that know their role, loyal, but loyal to you first. Secondly, we'll hold the stick in our hands. That we'll know that there is a gush of wind coming from behind us, that we know that there's a weapon never loses but I pray also we remember I think sometimes I wonder that people that are struggling with just being faithful to you coming to church doing what they have to do serving you is because they forget how faithful you've been so I pray for those who are surrendering today that you will release them though you'll know that yes they may still be in the battle to the end of the day but even if they're there and it may take years doesn't mean you're not winning pray they never get tired of raising their hands in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't mind, we're all going to stand today as we conclude service. So you all feel free to stand. You know, there's three things I always say, and I'm never going to stop saying it. If you don't know the Lord and Savior, as, 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 if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, and you're like, I don't even know about this God you're talking about, come talk to us. Come talk to me, Kiran, Jeff, Deacon Mitchell, Pastor Cannings, anybody. We don't care who you talk to as long as you hear the gospel. Because in the middle of this message, I said something. I said, the biggest miracle ever committed was that he died on the cross for sinners like me and you. So if you don't know that story, and never put your faith in that story, please come see us. Secondly, if you would like to join Living Word Fellowship Church, faithful Pastor Lawrence is right there next to the post like he always is. If you'd like to join it, we're not a perfect church. We're a church who's trying to learn and grow and get closer to Christ. But I pray that you will follow us in that journey. Pastor Lawrence would love to take you through new membership to my left or right. If you just need prayer after church, we're here. Me and Pastor Candace will do our best to pray with you after church or any other elders who are present. But for the most part, I just want to tell you thank you for being here. Thank you for allowing God to speak to your hearts. Remember, it's not Pierre's word. It's only God's. So I thank you for being faithful to listening and worshiping God together. So if you don't mind, Chris is going to sing and then I'll conclude with our benediction. Real quickly.
1: It's doing a great work in me. God. God is doing a great work, he's doing a great work, God's doing a great work in me.
0: Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lifted up his countenance on you and said, and give you Peace. You are dismissed. Have an amazing Sunday and let the word of God change your life.